Anyway, turn to John chapter 21, if you would, in your Bibles there, and let me preach this morning. And I want to bring a little message. I see Amarillo faces here just about every time I'm here, especially on the holidays. I see people who are from Trinity and Amarillo, and I know that some of you came to hear Robert, so just get over that. And uh, But it's good to see you all down here for the holidays. John 21, this message is called Breakfast with Jesus. This, this is the story now about the disciples. They had breakfast with Jesus. Actually, Jesus fixed them breakfast. Jesus cooked a breakfast for them of bread and fish. Now, let me, let me say this. This is a pivotal time in the lives of the disciples. Now, I'm not going to exaggerate in saying this, but I want you to listen to me for just a minute. Now, up until this point, the disciples are terrible disciples. And I'm not exaggerating. They're just horrible disciples it would have really been difficult for Jesus to find worse men than these. They they were a reproach. They really were. I'm not trying to exaggerate. I'm just telling you, they they denied Him. They They have just denied Jesus just days earlier in His most important moment, in His most trying moment. They they denied Him. Peter publicly and vocally denied Jesus. He cussed out a little girl just to convince her that He had nothing to do with Christ. I mean, they never learned anything. They, they, never, they never changed. They, they were really a thorn in his side. He was constantly having to drag them along and everything. And, and I'll prove it to you here in just a minute. I'm just saying, two chapters earlier than John chapter 21, they're denying him and really embarrassing him publicly. But the good news is, two chapters later, they're shaking the world. It's kind of encouraging what God can do with people who aren't that sharp. You know, I mean, it's encouraging to me. I'm not saying it's encouraging for you. It's encouraging for me. You know, it, it would have been bad if, if we see the disciples and the disciples were just these Harvard graduate, super spiritual, sharp, sharp, sharp people. And you're saying, well, I could never change the world. I, I could just never be like that because that's not who I am. But what we see in the Bible is the exact opposite. Jesus just goes and it's almost like he chose some not so sharp people on purpose. Really and truly, I mean, these guys are just not that sharp. I'll prove it to you here in just a minute. Now, this is John 21, and Jesus is coming to the disciples. They are broken. They are not running from city to city talking about the resurrection. You would think, after the resurrection of Jesus, that these guys would be going from town to town, every person saying, He's risen from the dead. We told you He was the Savior. They're not. They're at the Sea of Galilee and they're depressed. They're licking their wounds. This little breakfast with Jesus is a quiet breakfast. Much unlike the Last Supper where they were just chattery and all sitting around bragging and all that kind of stuff. This is a very, very somber event. They have fished all night not caught one fish. And Jesus is now walking up. And He's going to do something here now that's going to change their lives forever in having breakfast with them. And every single one of us can learn a lesson from this that will help us to be the people God wants us to be. Verse 1, John chapter 21, it says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Let's stop right there, and I just want to point out the word showed. It says, After these things, Jesus showed himself. This is the Greek word, phanero'o. It means to reveal a mystery, to uncover something that was previously hidden. It's not just saying that Jesus once again showed up at the Sea of Galilee and physically appeared to His disciples. This word showed means He's he's revealing Himself. He's drawing the curtain on something that they have not seen before. He's finally revealing a mystery that they've never gotten before. This is a special encounter. 
It says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, that they, and they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. Now, actually, in the Greek language, this is a question that demands a, a negative answer. He really didn't say, Children, do you have any food? He said, You don't have any food, do you? It demands a no answer here. And they said, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they uh, had some to land, as soon as they had some to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Let's just stop right here and let me say, the church father, Jerome, when it mentions here that they had 153 fish, it was not unusual for someone on the shore to spot for fishermen because they had an angle that the fishermen didn't have and sometimes they could see fish that, other, that they could not see in the boat. And so when Jesus walks up on the shore and says, drop the net on the other side, you know, they're just thinking, this is a nice man and he's going to help us out here. They did not know it was the Lord. But when it says that they drew up 153 fish and John looks over at Peter and says, it's the Lord, the church father Jerome said this, there were 153 species of fish in the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias. When they looked down and saw 153 fish, they didn't just see a good catch. They saw a miracle that only the Creator could pull off, one of each species in the net. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask Him, Who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, this is where the disciples change. Up until this point now, they, they have never learned, they have never changed, and they have constantly really been a thorn in Jesus' side. After this, they become world changers. They're never again the same, because at this breakfast with Jesus... Here's the lesson that they learned that, that changed their lives. And this is the lesson that once we learn this lesson, it will forever change our lives in a radical way. And here's the lesson now at Breakfast with Jesus. It's not about us. It's all about Jesus. This is what they learned here. He showed Himself to them. And when He revealed Himself at the Sea of Galilee, they finally learned the lesson that they had never understood before. It's all about Jesus. Life, it's just all about Jesus. It's really not about us. It's all about Him. But up until this time, it had never been about Jesus. Not one day that the disciples had followed Jesus was it ever about Jesus. It was always about them. And I'll prove it to you. Turn to Luke chapter 9, if you would, in your Bible there. Luke chapter 9, 
And I want to read a couple of Scripture texts here that, that will prove to you now that the disciples were never thinking primarily about Jesus when they were following Him. Never until the Sea of Galilee experience in John 21. You're turning to Luke chapter 9 there. Now let me just bring you up to, to speed now on, on what we're about to read. Jesus has just fed 5,000 men and their families all this meal with fragments left over out of five loaves and two fish. Okay, This is what He's just done. And after doing that, He goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration and there He has changed by God into, He's transfigured into the, the glorious state, his, his, his existent, His eternally existent state. He is glorified there, and Moses and Elijah show up with Him, and Peter, James, and John personally experience this. And then He comes down the mountain and He heals a little boy who has demons. And these demons are trying to destroy this little boy, throwing him into fire and into water, and Jesus heals this little boy. Now, these are the things that have just happened, okay? And the disciples have witnessed this. Verse 43 now of Luke chapter 9, it says, They were all amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at the things which Jesus did, He said to His disciples, let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was hidden from them, so that they did not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask Him about this saying. Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. Now, well, let's stop right now. Jesus just fed 5,000 men and their families with five loaves and two fish. Jesus was just transfigured and appeared with Moses and Elijah, and Jesus just delivered this little demoniac boy, and they were talking about which of them was the greatest. It's, it's like going to like a Benny Hinn crusade, and three people are raised from the dead, and all these miracles take place, and Benny Hinn starts floating around the Colosseum, and you get in your car to go home and say, wasn't that a great evening? I bet I'm better than you. You know, it's like, well, what, where's your mind? I mean, where's your mind? I mean, you're standing in the presence of the Son of God. And I mean, you, you've seen these miracles, these, these astounding miracles, and all you can talk about is which one of you is the greatest? They didn't do any miracles. Jesus did all the miracles. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter almost got him killed. He said, oh, Lord, you know, let us, build, let us build these tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And this cloud descends on the Mount of Transfiguration. And God said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Scared him to death. Peter in his mouth. And hours later, he's not talking about Jesus. He's talking about himself. This was a regular discussion that the disciples had which of them was the greatest? Let me just tell you something. This is not the worst story. The worst story is in Luke 22, if you'll turn over there with me. This, this is even worse than what we just read there. More damaging to these men. Now you have to remember, now they've been with Jesus. This is at the Last Supper. Now in Luke 22, they've been with Jesus for several years. They've never changed. I'm just telling you, in three years of following Jesus, they've never changed changed. Have you ever met a person who's been a Christian for a long time and they've never changed? I mean, seriously. I, and I'm, I'm not saying this to be ugly. I'm just saying, I do know Christian people who are meaner than ever before. That's all I'll say. But I really do. I mean, I really do. And so, okay, 
Luke 22, verse 20. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. Now, I want you to listen to me. Stop right here. Now, Jesus, this is the Last Supper. There are 13 people present here. It's an intimate setting. Only Jesus and his disciples. Jesus is under more stress at this moment than any human being has ever been in the history of the world. In any war, in any business deal, in, in any sporting event, in, in any family crisis, in any situation, there has never been a human being under the stress that Jesus is at this moment. It's, it's his worst hour. I mean, he's about to sweat drops of blood in Gethsemane in just a couple of hours. Jesus is, he's, he's so suffering emotionally. And he's with his disciples, and the man who's going to sell him, the son of the devil, is that make a decision that it's no longer about them, that it's about him. And they make this decision, and they become world changers. Here's how you know, and I just want to use the, the disciples' behavior and what happened to them to just, to just say, here's how we know that it's about us and not about Jesus. Now, some of you may be here this morning, and, and it's about Jesus. I mean, your life is about Jesus. You're, you're victorious. You're growing. You're learning. And it's about Jesus. Some of you may be here this morning, and it's been, it's been a hard ride. And you really have not changed. In fact, you may have actually reverted. Because it looks at the Sea of Galilee that the disciples are actually worse off now than they were before they were disciples. At least before they were disciples, they could catch fish. But now they can't. These guys are in bad shape. But here's how you know that your life is focused on yourself and not on Christ. Let's talk about the good times and the bad times. The times of the disciples before Jesus was crucified and resurrected, and then afterwards, after they had betrayed Him. In the good times, here's how you know that life is about you and not about Jesus. Number one, self-confidence. You have a self-confidence about you. And you remember Peter, in Luke 22 here, uh, in verse 31, it says, The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for permission that he may sift you as sweet. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And, and Peter said, I will not deny you. And Jesus says before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. Self, self-confidence. That's one of the ways that you know that your eyes are on yourself. Number two, self-promotion. It just doesn't take long for people to find out anything good that's happening or anything good in your life. In other words, you don't have to dig for long. I will volunteer any good information about me. And the disciples were constantly promoting themselves. And you know... It seems a little bit outrageous that when Jesus was doing all these miracles, they were arguing about which one of them was the greatest. It, all, it even seems more outrageous that at the Last Supper, when Jesus is suffering, that those guys are sitting there bragging. But, but really and truly, let's just be honest, isn't that really the way we all are? I mean, I am. I'm just saying that I have to force myself not to think of myself. If something great is, is going on in my life, I just want to tell somebody. I mean, it's just, it's just something... It's just something I think that's within all of us is just this desire to promote ourselves so that we get where we want to go and, and you know, we don't, we're not th- thought of poorly or whatever. Number three, lack of praise, worship, 
and thanksgiving, even in the midst of God's glory and power. You know that it's not about Jesus and it's about you because you just don't have a life of praise. Did you know that praise and worship is the most unnatural thing in the world to a selfish person? You, you come into a worship service and you know, and, and you're, you should worship, but you can't make yourself think about the Lord. You're, you're, you're just thinking about your problems and you're thinking about yourself and your mind wanders and, and the music is going on, but you know, you just can't, you just can't seem to focus on worship. And that's because when it's really about you, praise and worship is the most dead and boring and unnatural thing in the world. But let me just say this. When your life is about Jesus, somebody could be playing Willie Nelson's On the Road again, you'd lift your hands and start worshiping. The music doesn't matter at that point. The setting doesn't matter. You could be like Paul in prison at midnight, and you can't keep from worshiping your Savior. When it's about Him, you just worship. When it's not about Him, you can't worship. It's just an unnatural thing. Here's the thing about the disciples. They never have a worship service. Never. You just don't ever see the disciples before the crucifixion and resurrection, before this scene now in John 21. You just don't ever see the disciples around a campfire with a guitar singing Kumbaya. It just doesn't happen. They're not men of praise. They just don't praise Him. You know, selfish people just don't praise. They find it completely boring. Number four, lack of change or conformity to Christ's image. They, they just never changed. Before John 21. Number five, difficulty retaining truth. You just don't get it. Now, let me tell you something about this book right here. This book is encrypted. And, and you have to have the encryption code before you can understand it. Let me explain the encryption of the Bible to you. This is about God. It's not about you. When, when your life is about you you can't possibly understand what's written in this book because it's not about you. When you're living for yourself, when, when your life every day is about where you're going to get and you feeling good and you looking good and you having all the things that you want and it's me, 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 I pick up this book and I read it and I think, this is the, this is the oddest, this is the most, dif most difficult book. I just don't understand this book. And you try to read it and you say, that, I just don't get that. But one day you wake up and you say, God, it's no longer about me. From this day forward, my life is about serving you. You pick up this book and you say, this is the most wonderful book in the world. I finally understand it. Why didn't I understand it before? And the answer is very simple, but because before it was all about you. Understand, Jesus kept telling the disciples, let these words sink into your ears. They never got it until after John 21. And after John 21 in the book of Acts, these men are preaching the Word of God with power throughout the whole world. They finally become men of the Word. I want you to understand, you'll never get the Word. You'll never understand this until the day that your life becomes about Jesus Christ and it's no longer about you. Number six, your behavior changes depending on who you're around. You know, Jesus was at the communion service and He was just a little holy Joe at the communion service. Just having a big time with Jesus and the rest of the disciples. And a few hours later, he's cussing like a sailor. Because it was never about Jesus. It was always about him and how he looked. It was always about his ego and, and him being the preeminent apostle and all those kind of things like that. And so he's, he's sitting with Jesus and the rest of, uh, rest of the disciples. And he's a little chameleon. He's a Christian chameleon. 
and he gets in a little Christian group, and he talks all the Christianese and whatever, and then he goes over and gets in a bar, and he can talk that talk too. That's how you know that it's about you. Because you just change, depending on who you're around. Number seven, you rebel when God doesn't do things your way. Jesus told Peter that he was going to die on the cross, be crucified, and be betrayed. And Peter rebuked him in Matthew 16. And, of course, Judas, when Judas found out that Jesus was not going to pay off financially and politically, Judas sold him for 30 pieces of silver. In other words, it's about me. It's about God fulfilling my agenda. It's about God making my dreams come true. It's about God bringing the right people into my life. It's about God opening doors for me. It's about me, God. And let me just tell you this. I'm already just a little bit ticked at you anyway because you don't take orders well. One more big flaw, and I may just change religions. That's what Judas did. And Peter, Peter was so bold that he just got right up in Jesus' face and says, You will not do that. And he said, You get behind me, Satan, because your mind is not set on God's interest. Your mind is set on your, in, uh, on your own interest. The devil's doorway into your life is self. Genesis chapter 3. It was all about God until one day the serpent slithered in and told Adam and Eve, look at where you will be if you take that fruit and eat it. You will be like God. He exalted self and demoted God. And the fall happened and it's still happening every day right here in South Lake, Texas. Self is the entry point. Jesus turned around and he addressed self as Satan because he knew it was one and the same. Prayerlessness, number eight. You know it's about you and not God because of prayerlessness. Jesus turned to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's sweating drops like blood. He turns and says, can't you just hang on for one hour? Self can't pray. Self worries because worry is about me. I'm comparing myself with my problems. I'm not praying to God and trusting him. It's not about God and his power and glory and ability and love and grace to take care of me as my father. It's about my ability to deal with my own problems. So self lives in worry or arrogance. Self lives in self-pity. That's the, that's the region of self. Self lives in depression because I compare myself to my obstacles and either I can handle it and I'm arrogant or I can't handle it and I'm depressed. But self doesn't pray because prayer is about God. Everything else is about self. And so in the, in the good times, the disciples, they were just full of themselves and they did all of these things. And every single one of us can relate to these things. I can relate to these things. But here are the bad times now. After the crucifixion and resurrection, the disciples are ashamed now because of the way that they've behaved around Christ. And here's how you know that it's about you in the bad times. You can't forgive yourself. These guys are at the Sea of Galilee, and they are totally defeated. And you can just imagine what the devil was doing to these guys. They've denied Christ. They, they have just made a horrible blunder. And... Uh, they're back at the Sea of Galilee. There's only seven of them now. This is not all 11 disciples. There are only seven of them, probably best buddies. And they've kind of gone back to their old livelihood of fishing. They've just gone back to a familiar place because they're hurting and they're wondering, do we have any future in, in being disciples? Let me say this. You know, the devil comes to us in the good times when, when good things are happening. The devil doesn't want you to take the good times and turn them to God. 
the, the devil doesn't want you to take all your successes and victories and all your blessings and giftings and intelligence and turn that to God every day and say, Lord, thank you for, for gifting me with these things because you're, you're just so good to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The devil comes in your good times and says, aren't you smart? Aren't you good? Aren't you just better? Aren't you this? And, and so he wants to make you arrogant. But in the bad times, when you've done something wrong, the devil doesn't want you to turn and to receive the grace of God. He doesn't want it to be about how good God would be to forgive a sinner like us. He wants it to be about your sin. It's called condemnation. And he comes to you and says, God can't love a person like you. You're too bad. You have said that you wouldn't do that anymore, and you've done it a thousand more times. You're, you, you just aren't going to get there. You're, you're just not like other people. You're worse than other people. God knows your heart, and your heart is bad. And I know the Bible says that God forgives, but He forgives people who aren't like you. And you've just committed this sin over and over and over. And let me just tell you something. Yeah, God may let you in, but He's sick of you. Don't talk to Him. Don't go running to Him right now. Because you've gone running to Him one too many times. So the disciples are there and see they're defeated. Let me just tell you something. Let me just tell you the good news. This is why it's called the Gospel, the good news of Jesus. It's not about how bad of a sinner you are, it's about how good of a Savior He is. It's not about the severity of our sin, it's about the power of His blood. And if it is this morning, if it's about us, God help us all. Because if it's about my sin, we're in bad shape this morning. But Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, as weak as it was through our flesh, God did by sending His Son. It's not about my sin. And when the devil comes to condemn us about our sin, don't you let him turn it on you. Don't you let it be about you. You just lift your hands to God and say, Thank you that I've got a Savior that will forgive any sin. Thank you that I've got a Savior that I can go over and over and over. He told us to forgive 70 times 7. I thank you, God, that you never stop forgiving us. That we can go back over and over and over for the same sin. It's not about your sin. It's about the power of His blood. In all of eternity, we will worship Him because He's an awesome Savior. I'm standing up here this morning. He could have taken my life a thousand times. I have given Him a million reasons to disqualify me. And I'm not standing up here this morning because I'm spiritual or I'm better. I'm standing up here this morning 100% by the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's why I serve Him. I serve Him because I get to. I am so proud of Jesus. What a marvelous Jesus He is. What a marvelous Jesus He is. I have no sense that I'm up here this morning because of anything good that I've done. I'm here in spite of myself. I'm here because of the wonderful Lord that I serve. And what the devil wants to do in the bad times is come and stick it right in your face and say, it's all about you. And you've got to do something pretty spectacular to get yourself out. No, I'll tell you, the spectacular thing that was done to get me out was Jesus hanging on the cross. And that's all I've got to do is just say, Lord, I acknowledge my sin and I repent, forgive me. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if I confess my sin, period, that's it. If I confess my sin, He's faithful and He's righteous. And he, isn't that good news? And the disciples are at the Sea of Galilee. They've given up. They've given up. 
They're just overwhelmed with how bad they are. And they look up. He's there. Cooking them breakfast. It's amazing. He's there. And this is what he says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You know what that means? That means I will never under any circumstances ever leave you. And I will never under any circumstances forsake you. He'll never leave us. He's in love with us. Why? Because he's just incredible. He's incredible. You know, I was thinking one day. I was reading in a quiet time. And I was reading in the book of Revelation. And it had this scene in heaven. And Jesus was there on his throne and he was being worshipped. It's a scene in the future. And Jesus was on his throne and he was being worshipped. And it says there was like a sea of glass in front of the throne of God. And he was being worshipped. It's a picture of, of, of you and me and all of us, all the church universal, in heaven one day in the future. And it says that when God looks down on us, we're like a sea of glass in front of him, worshipping him, and he's being worshipped. And I was reading that one morning in a quiet time, and I, I realized, you know, my destiny is one day I'm going to be a part of a sea of worshipers worshiping Jesus. And it just hit me. It's not about me. Someday in heaven, I am not going to be the one worshipped. I'm not going to be standing out. I, I'm, there, there's not going to be like a sea of glass and then there's a preacher section. You know, and, and, there, and I'm over here saying, well, worship him, but you know, I don't mind a little acknowledgement over here. No, we just, one day in heaven, we just all file into a sea of worship. And we all look at our Lord and we worship Him for all of eternity. And I just thought, of, thought about that when I read it. And I thought, you know, since that's where I'm headed, I might as well go ahead and get comfortable with that right now. It's not about me. It will never be about me. God will never allow it to be about me. And the one who wants to make it about me is the devil because he wants to destroy me. You'll never live a happy day when it's about you. You'll never live a successful day when it's about you. You'll never get there when it's about you. Like the disciples at the Sea of Galilee, it really won't change until you have breakfast with Jesus. And breakfast with Jesus is when you sit down and realize how incredible He is. We're not worthy for it to be about us. The only one worthy is Him. And on that day, when it becomes about Him, Christianity really begins the way God wanted it to be lived and experienced. Bow your heads with me if you would. Father, we pray this morning that self would die right now. That spirit of self, that spirit of selfishness, of self-pity, of arrogance, of performance. Just that fallen nature that every single one of us are born with. Lord, this morning we pray that it would die. It's tormenting our lives. It's keeping us from being the people of God that you want us to be. 
And we just acknowledge this morning, Jesus, that it's wrong. In light of who you are and how wonderful you are and your glory that surrounds us every day, it's wrong for us to live constantly focused on ourselves. Lord, we pray this morning that like you showed yourself to the disciples, that you would show yourself to us this morning, every single one of us, God. And some of us here this morning are very discouraged. We're very disheartened. And we're tired. We're frustrated. We're disillusioned. And this morning, Lord, we, we need some encouragement. We need help and hope. And we just take our eyes this morning and put them on you. You're our best friend. You're always there. You're ready to forgive all of our sins. And we're ready to confess our sins. Our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, who made heaven and earth. And we just put our eyes on you this morning, Jesus. And from this day forward, we confess our lives are about you. Our lives are about you. Never again will we let it be about us. And when the devil comes to try to make it about us, in good times or in bad, we're going to resist him. We're going to make it about you. That's our that's our commitment. Holy Spirit, give us the ability to remember this this truth this morning and to apply it to our lives in those those times when we need it. And I just pray your blessing, God, over every person here this morning. Just let your blessing rest upon them, God. You know where all of us are. And I just pray this morning, Lord, that your blessing would rest upon every person here and that you would give us the grace to overcome whatever situations that we're encountering in our lives. Just give us the grace this morning, the power, the ability to overcome by your power. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for it, God. In Jesus' name.